So I guess um, many of us are conscious of divisions, difficulties, struggles, stresses. I guess that many of us are conscious that these are days of anxiety. I, uh, I've been looking at the passage for this Sunday all week and um, reflecting on these, uh, on these words in Acts chapter 15 with those who come to pray in the morning and the evenings. And um, I was kind of thinking it through and saying to the Lord, you know, this is, this is great. I've got some war stories about these things and, you know, old stories about stuff. And I just don't feel like I've got enough kind of up-to-the-minute stuff. And then on Saturday, my day off, <laughs> it was just an inundation of just one thing after another. Businesses where Christians are leading them and there's real relational difficulties within those businesses. Homes where they've been riven by terrible things happening. And all kinds of stuff. I mean, I literally spent the whole day either on the phone or meeting people because it was one of those, what did Rennes call them? Three alarm fires. It was one of those situations that you can't avoid and it's no good telling people it's your day off. And so that was, it was almost as though the Lord wanted to underline something to me about what it is that we're going to talk about today. Because my life, I'm sure like yours, is one that is beset by difficulty. My life is, is a life that is a series of mountaintops and valleys. And in the valley, so often, I found difficulty, challenge, conflict, dispute, division. And my guess is that you're like me. So today's passage is going to deal with some of those things. And if for some reason you're a person that never has to deal with division or difficulty, conflict or challenge, then you can leave and um, pray for us because uh, that's what we're going to be looking at today. Acts chapter 15 and verse 1. It's quite a long reading, so strap yourself in. Some men came down from Judea to Antioch and were teaching the brothers... Unless you are circumcised according to the custom taught by Moses, you cannot be saved. This brought Paul and Barnabas into sharp dispute and debate with them. So Paul and Barnabas were appointed, along with some other believers, to go up to Jerusalem to see the apostles and elders about this question. The church sent them on their way. And as they traveled through Phoenicia and Samaria, they told how the Gentiles had been converted. This news made all the brothers very glad. When they came to Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church and the apostles and elders to whom they reported everything God had done through them. Then some of the believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees stood up and said, the Gentiles must be circumcised and required to obey the law of Moses. The apostles and elders met to consider this question after much discussion. Peter got up and addressed them. Brothers, you know that some time ago God made a choice among you that the Gentiles might hear from my lips 
the message of the gospel and believe. God, who knows the heart, showed that he accepted them by giving them the Holy Spirit, just as he did to us. He made no distinction between us and them, for he purified their hearts by faith. Now then, why do you try to test God by putting on the necks of the disciples a yoke that neither we nor our fathers have been able to bear? No, we believe it is through the grace of our Lord Jesus that we are saved just as they are. The whole assembly became silent as they listened to Barnabas and Paul telling about the miraculous signs and wonders God had done among the Gentiles through them. When they finished, James stood up. Brothers, listen to me. Simon has described to us how God at first showed his concern by taking from the Gentiles a people for himself. The words of the prophets are in agreement with this. As it is written, after this I will return and rebuild David's fallen tent. Its ruins I will rebuild and I will restore it. That the remnant of men may seek the Lord and all the Gentiles who bear my name. Says the Lord who does these things that have been known for ages. It is my judgment therefore that we should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. Instead, we should write to them, telling them to abstain from food polluted by idols, from sexual immorality, from the meat of strangled animals, and from blood. For Moses has been preached in every city from the earliest times and is read in the synagogues on every Sabbath. So there's the passage, Acts chapter 15, verses 1 to 21. And it, it deals with a settlement, a way of coming together from a divided place into a place of unity that requires a good deal of compromise on both, on both parties. But to understand how it is that this division is overcome, we need to begin at the place that you really should start. You need to understand the story behind the story. What is it that led to this place of division? What is it that, that, that led to these people being in such sharp conflict and such bitter, bitter division? Well, the story, of course, of this probably goes back to Acts chapter 8 when Saul, known then as Saul, we later know him as Paul and I'll refer to him as such in the rest of the story, Paul, of course, is part of the group that murders Stephen and leads a persecution in Jerusalem that scatters the believers to the four winds. In the next chapter, Acts chapter 9, we see Paul pursuing some of those believers into another country. He's on his way to Damascus to see if he can find some of those who've been scattered who might be living and hiding there. And on the way to Damascus, Jesus arrests him in his headlong pursuit of hell and turns him around and causes his eyes to be blinded, but his heart to be enlightened because he knows now that Jesus is Lord and that his, his mercy and grace has been extended to him even in his foolishness, his arrogance, and his unbridled sin. In chapter 10, we see 
Peter, beginning to sense that God is doing something special. He's sleeping in a trance, the scriptures tell us, on the, on the rooftop of a man called Simon the Tanner. And he sees a blanket descending from heaven. And God says that you're not to despise anything that I've created. Just at that moment, some people came from a centurion's house called Cornelius to ask Peter to come and help them understand who Jesus was. And so the first Gentile household is brought to Jesus. In chapter 11, we see that them, those who'd been scattered were now traveling as far as Antioch, way there in the north, in the northern part of Syria. And they began to share the good news, not with just Jews, people who understood the scriptures, but with Gentiles also. And they became followers of Jesus and were saved themselves. The church in Jerusalem heard about this and sent a man who they trusted, Barnabas, to go and look. Barnabas had met Paul just after his conversion, maybe, maybe a couple of years after his conversion. And he helped Paul get to meet Peter and then send him on his way to Tarsus. And when he saw Antioch, he remembered the story that this young man Paul had said, that, that Paul had heard from Jesus that he was to go with the message of salvation to all the Gentiles. And here Barnabas could see it happening before his very eyes. And so he went to find Paul and brought him back. And they enjoyed a wonderful time of spiritual harvest. Prophets from Jerusalem came up to encourage the believers, one of them called Agabus, as part of that mission of prophetic teaching, told the church that a famine was coming upon the world. And sure enough, it did in the time of Claudius. This famine was going to be very severe, especially for the people in Judea. And so the church in Antioch, led by Paul and Barnabas, gathered a gift and they sent Paul and Barnabas town to Jerusalem to support the poor that were there. Paul talks about this in Galatians chapter 2, verses 1 to 7. He doesn't mention the gift because, of course, he doesn't want to promote himself as some kind of special person. But he tells the, the, the Gentile believers in Galatia that, that when he went to Jerusalem, he talked to the pillars of the church, Peter, James, and John, about what it was that he believed the good news of Jesus was. And they added nothing to his message, but gave him the right hand of fellowship. And so he returned to Antioch with great joy. Back in Jerusalem, in chapter 12 of the Acts of the Apostles, we hear of Peter getting imprisoned and miraculously escaping and, and leaving the city of Jerusalem. Perhaps really very rarely to return again because of becoming this marked man. And then in Acts chapter 13, we see Paul and Barnabas back in Antioch, praying and fasting with the other leaders of that church. And the Holy Spirit says, you need to go and do the thing that I've asked you to do. And so off they go on their first missionary journey. And they return in, in Acts chapter 14. And it's such a joyful time as they talk about the door that's been opened to the Gentiles, that God has done such a great work. And just at that time, it would appear 
that what Paul talks about in Galatians chapter 2, verses 7 and following, takes place. Some men sent from James. We're not quite sure what that means, but we know that they're people who are associated with the brother of Jesus, who is now the leader of the church in Jerusalem. Some men sent from James came to the church in Antioch, and unlike the prophetic visit of Agabus, they come and unsettle the church because they say to the church in Antioch, these Gentile Christians, that they're not true believers. They can't be saved unless they become Jews. Now, according to Paul's account in Galatians chapter 2, verses 7 and following, Peter, who had come to visit the church to encourage them, found himself conflicted because these Jewish believers, these Jewish followers of Jesus were saying that, that you couldn't eat with Gentile believers because the food that they were eating was, was not kosher, was not allowed, was not clean. And so Peter, even Peter, the one who had first taken the message to the house of Cornelius, withdrew from the Gentile believers. Even Barnabas found himself conflicted by these religious teachers who carried the weight and the authority of the law. And Paul wasn't having any of it. He confronted Peter in public. He pulled Barnabas back into line and he had a sharp dispute with those who were adding anything to the grace of the Lord Jesus for salvation. And he said, look, Peter, the law killed me trying to, trying to observe it. The law, in the impossibility of keeping it, demonstrated to me that the law could never help me. It could never help me. Living up to standards of performance, whether they're imposed by God or whether they're imposed by the people around you, can never help you receive the gift of Jesus, the grace of Jesus. I have been crucified with Christ. I no longer live but Christ lives in me. It is the grace of Jesus who has given me his life and has purified my heart that has done the thing that the law could never do. Peter, what are you thinking? So the church in Antioch said to Paul and Barnabas, maybe you should go back to Jerusalem Maybe you should consult the elders, James was an elder, and the apostles, and see if there's a way to resolve this conflict. So as we saw in the text, they traveled south, down towards Jerusalem. Jerusalem is always up. They don't have north, south, east, and west. Whenever you're going to Jerusalem, you're going up to Jerusalem. And whenever you're leaving Jerusalem, you're going down from Jerusalem. So the men who came from Jerusalem came down from Jerusalem and the Paul and Barnabas went up to Jerusalem because, of course, Jerusalem is the most important place on the planet. 
And so they travel through Phoenicia, along the seacoast, into Samaria, sharing the stories of all that God had done. And everybody was so excited. And then they came to the council of elders and apostles. And there were some who were followers of Jesus who were part of the party of the Pharisees. Those really conservative evangelicals. And they had lots of rules. And they wanted to make sure that the Gentiles followed them. Because if they had to follow them, everybody did. And you heard how Peter recounted again the story of Cornelius and recalled maybe even his conflict with Paul by saying, it is by grace that we're saved. There's nothing else that can transform a life other than the presence of the Holy Spirit purifying the heart and the gift of God's grace making us new, forgiving our sins and placing us in a right relationship with him. It's by grace we're saved. They talk further, they hear Paul and Barnabas James, the elder, stands up and says, I think they're right. The scriptures confirm this. We should not make it difficult for the Gentiles. And then he offers a kind of compromise position. Let's ask the Gentiles not to eat food, food that's been offered to idols. Let's ask them to abstain from the immorality of the world that all of us are part of. And let's ask them not to eat meat that's come from a strangled animal or blood. Now, it's tremendously important that we understand that story because in that story, there are the three essential elements for overcoming a dispute. So if you have a dispute with other Christians. It's difficult if you've got dispute with people who, who are, are not believers because it's, it's, it's more complex in terms of the authority that you're using to find the consensus that's necessary. But if you're with other believers and you're in the midst of a relational conflict, a relational breakdown, the three elements that you heard in that narrative are the three elements that will provide for you a way forward. Having been honest about the conflict, having been clear that this truly is a conflict instead of hiding from it and pretending it doesn't exist, then the first thing you do is you consider. You consider what it is that is the conviction of the Spirit in terms of what it is that the Holy Spirit is doing. What's the Holy Spirit convicting you of in terms of his work among you? So if there are two different groups and um, both groups say they're right, then you step back a little bit and say, okay, so what's the Holy Spirit doing? Because the Holy Spirit does the same things all the time. He brings love and joy and peace and kindness and self-control. He he. He is the one who gives the gifts of the Spirit, and he's the only one 
who can give the bounty of God's blessing by changing people's hearts and bringing them to Jesus. I can remember I was deeply conflicted as a young pastor in England. People were leaving the church in droves. I was teaching discipleship and a commitment to Jesus that went beyond Sunday attendance. And it was deeply, deeply troubling to me. And a friend of mine from here in America, in Chicago, was visiting at the time, and I said, I don't, I don't, know, what I, I don't know what to do. But what would you do, Steve? And he said, well, he said, I think you should just wait. I said, wait? What, what am I waiting for? He said, well, in the end, he said, I think almost everybody I've ever met will be able to count. I said, what do you mean? He said, well, in the end, everybody will be able to count. And so they'll be able to count how many people are saved, how many people are healed, how many people are touched and transformed. Because the Holy Spirit is the one who will confirm what it is that's going on by his presence and by his power. And sure enough, the largest church in Britain emerged from that incredibly conflicted place. So many people came to know the Lord. So much of the kingdom's signs were seen among us. The second thing, alongside of the conviction of the Spirit, is the counsel of the wise. And of course, to receive the counsel of the wise, you have to spread your, spread your desire for that counsel amongst a broad group of people, from the very left to the very right. And some of the counsel will be wrong. The Pharisees were wrong. But counsel was being sought and received from different people and it is in the hearing of that counsel and the testing of that counsel against what it is that God is doing that you begin to sense the clarity that only God can provide. And so you look for the conviction of the spirit. You look for the counsel of the wise. And then finally, the confirmation of scripture. Peter and James have heard the stories of what the spirit is doing. Peter and James have heard the variety of different counsel. And then they bring scriptural truth to bear. And the confirmation of God's scriptures are the things, or is the thing that finally brings the whole picture together. James says, all of this has been talked about in the Bible for hundreds of years. It's just that we weren't expecting to see it quite like this. 
Here it is. So, the conviction of the Spirit, the counsel of the wise, the confirmation of Scripture, and then a compromise. <laughs> and you say, compromise? After you've gone all through that work? Surely somebody's right. Well, yeah. And he's called Jesus. But you may have to compromise to come up with a solution. And why do I say it's a compromise, the, the words that James gives? Because the word that James gave and the letter that was sent is not the word of God. It's contained and recorded in the word of God. But it's not the counsel for every Christian in every circumstance on every occasion. How do I know? Well, when Paul is writing to the, to the Christians in Rome, he says, I'm not worried about the meat offered to idols. Don't worry about it. And you're thinking, wait, he's disagreeing with James. Well, he's just, he's just saying that was fine for there, but for right now, there's no big deal. And Jesus, who, let's face it, is even more important than Paul, says this. When you find a person of peace, eat what they put in front of you. And you say, wait, what? What if the animal's been strangled? You know, somebody went out in the yard and wrung the neck of the chicken and then brought it in. I mean, how many times has that been done? What about if it's, um, if it's a household that's not become believers yet and they kind of have a household God and every day they kind of worship? The, I mean, what do you think, Jesus? Jesus says, listen, I'm creating you in myself to do good works that I'm preparing in advance for you to do. And the way that you'll find those good works that I'm preparing in advance for you to do is finding the people of peace that I prepared ahead of you. And don't argue with me as to who they are. And if they offer you black pudding because they're northern English people, which happens to be made with blood, eat it. So the letter was enormously helpful. It provided a great compromise for the situation right there and then. But it wasn't the word of God because it wasn't Definitive for every Christian in every place on every occasion. Yeah? So, we've got to be ready for provisional solutions that may not be the solution to a similar dispute a little way along the road. Now, lots of people are nodding and saying, thank you. Somebody's actually told us some practical stuff about what's going on in the world right now. Because your social media feed, even your news feed, and this isn't, this isn't me being apocalyptic or crazy. This is just standard information. You can go and find it out there. You can even find it on Google, and then they'll start sending you lots of it. Your social media and your news feed is defined by the things that you look at a long time on your phone and on your various different electronic devices. 
And the scientists and the algorithms they initially wrote have discovered that the things that capture our hearts and minds are the negative things and not the positive things. And it's no good tutting and shaking your head about all those unbelieving people out there who do that because it's us. You'll never guess what's happened to dot, dot, dot. You know, I get my Google feed, it comes up and it's got, you know, some celebrity's name on there. I think there was Sigourney Weaver on one. You'll never guess what she looks like now. You're thinking, what? I think they call it clickbait. And so you press on it and of course you stay on it. And then there's these little ads and all this kind of thing, you know, People from my age, it's like, you know, your hair's dropping out, your legs are falling off. I mean, you know. You see, the world is predicated on negativity. And negativity inevitably leads to division. And so if you're looking around the room thinking to yourself, I wonder who needs this message today? maybe you're looking in the wrong direction. Because all of us are being asked to take sides. All of us are being asked to make a decision as to which is the right thing and which is the wrong thing. All of us find ourselves in constant stress of personal and cultural division. And how do you overcome that massive level of anxiety that builds up with all of the negativity and the poison that we constantly find ourselves inundated with? Well, if you want to know how to resolve it, you have to know the story. And then you have to be honest about the conflict. And then you have to ask yourself, where is the conviction of the Spirit? And then you have to seek the counsel of the wise. And finally, come to the confirmation of the Scriptures. And what is it that would undergird such a process? Grace and kindness. Peter says, it's grace. It's grace that we need. It's grace that changes us. And James says, do you know, guys, I think we should just be kind. Let's not make it difficult. Let's just be kind. It sounds so effete, doesn't it? Grace and kindness. If only everybody could be like that. What's wrong with it? I can't think of a thing that's wrong with grace. And kindness is the fruit of the Spirit. So I better not find anything wrong with that. Grace 
and kindness. And where would it lead? Well, where did it lead in this story? Well, Paul and Barnabas went home with their tails wagging. They wrote a letter to the Galatians that got them back on the straight and narrow. They went off on their own missionary journeys. We'll see those very soon. Seeing enormously important breakthroughs in all of the world. Because you see, when we find ourselves resolving our divisions that so conflict and divide our hearts, and we embrace the grace and the kindness of God, then we are equipped to do the things in the scripture that bear the name great. We're able to fulfill the great commandment to love God and our neighbor and the great commission to make disciples. And that's what Paul and Barnabas did. They went through their small dispute and were released into a great thing. They went through their, through their conflicted and compressed place and were set free to reach the world. And so for you and I, living in this world overwhelmed by division, let's look for what the Spirit's doing. Let's seek the counsel of the wise. Let's look to the scriptures for the confirmation that we need. And let's operate in the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the kindness of the Spirit. And love God and love people and change the world. Let's pray.